Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Well, thank you so much for joining us here at the Rudd Center. Harriet, I was wondering if you could start and describe to us the preschool that you direct. Yes, thank you very much. I direct a preschool that's called the Nutritional Sciences Preschool. We're at Rutgers University. What is unique about us is we are the only preschool in the United States that focuses on nutrition. We are basically um, a developmentally appropriate laboratory school, which includes uh, college students' participation in the school, plus nutrition and nutrition education and a lot of cooking. So can you describe some of the ways that you incorporate the nutrition into the curriculum? Oh, absolutely. The college students have assignments of things that they have to do in the classroom. One of them is cooking with the children. So once we're underway in the, in the semester, the children have as one of their learning stations a cooking center so that on a daily basis they're preparing their own snacks in school. So that's, that's one big way that on a daily basis we are including, and of course, their healthy snacks. So that's, that's part of what we're doing. The children are, are following uh, recipe direction cards that the college students make, which are sort of like rebuses with pictures and words. So it shows them exactly what to do for directions, and it's facilitating their, their literacy development as well. In addition, the college students are creating nutrition education lessons that they do in the classroom with the children. Um, so that, that's something that's going on, on on an ongoing basis as well. So what are some of the children's favorite snacks that people might be surprised to hear about? Well, I think people would be surprised to know that the children actually like broccoli. We had been talking about that earlier, that that's, that seems to be one of their favorite vegetables. I don't know if people would be that surprised. Certainly fruit is extremely po uh, popular with the children, and we make all sorts of different things with it, not just things like fruit salads, but we make fruit animals, and um, we made a thing uh, yesterday in school that was called fruit shakers. They got to pick the fruits that they wanted, put them in a uh, Ziploc bag, and put yogurt in if they wanted to, and shake it up, and then put it into their own bowl. So we do a lot where the children are doing a lot of selection on their, their own part. Harriet, have you observed individual differences among children in your school regarding their food preferences? Ooh, absolutely. <laughs> I think that food preferences are as individual as children are individual in terms of their other characteristics. So there are going to be a lot of, of children who are very accepting of new tastes, who are excited to look for things. There are an awful lot of children who are not and who uh, need to be encouraged to be more adventuresome, and they're going to be a little bit different in their preferences. So John, you've done some interesting research studies in this school. Can you talk about a couple of those with us? Okay, thank you. Uh, let me say it's good to be here. Uh, we do have a number of projects going at any given time, a number that work out to be publishable. Some never get any further than conferences. But there are two that we're very proud of. Uh, one I suspect would be worth talking about uh, involved our testing of children's performance as well as dietary quality as a result of eating breakfast through our program as opposed to what they might be eating at home. There are a number of studies that have been out there with school-aged children which document the importance of breakfast and starting the day right and doing better on the types of tasks that school children should be doing well with. We were 
we were challenged to do something with children a little bit younger, and we were also challenged to find out a way of doing it where we would not have to deprive children of breakfast, since that seemed to be the popular way of testing uh, whether or not breakfast was worth. The, the standard paradigm is to uh, have children not eat before they come to school, then give half of them breakfast and let half do without and see who does better. And we've never thought that was very ethical or, or sound. So with our children, we implemented a breakfast program. It involved the parents needing to bring their children to school a little bit earlier than usual to allow for that. We did some baseline uh, testing. I don't want to call it testing per se. They were a battery of tasks that looked at the children's uh, verbal memory, uh, numerical memory, uh, ability to perform on a computer task where they had to make choices whether things were alike or different when we presented with them, matching familiar figures, uh, identifying embedded figures like triangles in, in everyday pictures. So we gave the children tasks like this prior to the start of our breakfast while we had parents report to us over the course of three days what the children were getting for breakfast. We um, then implemented our breakfast program after about two months when the children had acclimated to what coming in for breakfast was like and very comfortable with that circumstance and situation. We re administered the uh, tasks that we had done early in the semester, but now we were recording what the children were actually eating in our presence. So we had very good data on the children's choices given uh, an appropriate breakfast laid out for them on the school premises. And in a nutshell, we found that the children not only ate better in terms of greater calcium intake with the school breakfast and uh, more complex carbohydrates, and less refined sugar, but they perform better on a variety of the tasks. So do you think that that benefit of um, academic performance improving after they've had the healthy breakfast, is that an immediate benefit, you know, such that you want to eat a health, healthy breakfast the day you have a test, or is that something that builds up over time, or maybe both? I would think the latter would be uh, the way I would go. We were not fool enough to think that we're going to change a child's IQ by virtue of giving them a good breakfast for a couple of weeks, no matter how uh, power-packed we thought our breakfast might be. But at a cumulative level, I think if day after day, week after week, a child is eating uh, a nutritious, well-balanced breakfast, it's going to help he or she perform better throughout the day, stay alert longer. We, we deliberately chose tasks that weren't IQ-based per se, but were indicative of a child's ability to focus, to pay attention, to tune out discriminations, to tune out, distra to tune out rather distractions. And so uh, we were pleased with our results, of course, and I think over the course of a school year, a child going 180 days under normal circumstances in the public schools, day after day of the good breakfast w couldn't help but help the child do better day after day, which is going to build uh, to, to better grades, I think, at the end of the semester or whatever marking periods the uh, children might be undergoing. So would it be fair to say that the, probably the biggest difference between the breakfast that the children were getting at home and the ones that you all provided at school was that you, you all were providing something with more calcium and less sugar. Is that those were the key areas where they seemed to differ the most? It's where they differ the most. Um, 
<coughs> calcium, we gave the children the opportunity to have milk. What, what we learned in doing um, background work before we actually tried doing that study was that very few mothers in our daycare centers and, and our own nutritional sciences preschool were giving their children the benefit of a breakfast that was even in line with the, the national school breakfast programs very uh, rudimentary guidelines, that is to say uh, a fruit or vegetable and a serving of milk and two servings of, of grains or, or meat or some mix or match of that. There were really only four elements to it. Uh, we found that only about one in eight families were able to report that their children were getting a breakfast like uh, on a daily basis. So all we did was give up or give to the, the opportunity for the children to eat from those four areas. We always made sure that there was milk available, there was a full strength juice or fruit or vegetable, there were uh, plentiful grains, plentiful meats on certain days. We might have had lean turkey roll, for example, and the children were free to choose on their own. So left to having healthy choices to, to pick from, uh, the children, given that opportunity, appeared to eat, eat better. Uh, and aside with the sugar, yes, we did not serve cereals that were pre-sweetened. So if cereal was to be served, it was going to be something like regular Cheerios. Uh, or, or kicks. I don't want to give too many brand name plugs here. Uh, we took no funding from those cereal companies, so I guess that doesn't much matter. Uh, the milk was a matter of the children's choice. The less sugar in the cereals was, was our choice. We, we set the deck in our favor that way. Thank you. You know, Harriet, it, it seems to me anecdotally and having talked with parents and um, others in the field that children today are pickier eaters than they were 20 or 30 years ago. Would, would you agree with that or you think it's a, not necessarily an accurate statement? Well, my own experience doesn't go back more than probably 30 years with kids. So um, I think it may be true. I think, it, I, I, I think that it's a function of population, however, because mm -hmm. what we've seen in terms of visiting Head Start centers is that the children there are not picky. Mm. And my belief is that when food is not plentiful at home, the children eat what's there and they eat it before somebody else gets it. With our children, I think they're so much abundant and they may have learned that they can go out for the next meal, maybe with all of the takeout, with all the stuff that's going on in the fast food, that it, it may encourage children to become a little bit pickier. So if you were to give one or two primary recommendations to parents, what would they be? <laughs> Do not use food as reward, number one. Try, try to think before the children are thinking of things. Try to make lists. Try to have healthy choices for the children. When you take a child to the grocery store, you may say to the child, you can pick out one of X, whatever you decide the children can pick out, and you can help me get all these other things. You can be part of what we're doing at the grocery store. That's what you're getting today. And, and if someone starts having a fit, your child has a fit, I would put all the food back and say, I'm coming back another time, we're leaving. Sorry that your behavior wasn't you know, willing you know, uh, to let us have a nice time at the grocery store. You really can't get into food fights with children. You're not gonna win. So it's just a lot better to become, be dispassionate about it. Try not to be as emotional about foods as sometimes we can be. If we put a lot of time and effort into making um, an entree for a child and they reject it, they're really not rejecting you. They are rejecting the food. So I think, I think trying to keep that separate in your mind is something important for parents. Is your experience that children typically will either like something or not like it right away or does that change over time? 
I think that the children decide if they're going to like something or not like it before they taste it. A lot of it is visual. And so many children, because you're talking about the picky, they look at something and they say, I don't like it. They have no idea, of course, whether they like it or not because they haven't tried it. So I, I think that's a real barrier. You know, um, one thing that I think we've observed over time is that moms and dads seem to respond differently or take on different roles in feeding. Could you comment on that from your experience? Sometimes I see the, the fathers being very black and white about it and a little bit too pushy with children. You know, eat this and eat this now kind of thing. With, with mothers, I see something also that doesn't work very well, and that's a begging kind of a, of a, a posture. Please eat this for me. Uh, grandparents do that a lot, too, which is, you know, it's, it's, it, you have to try to depersonalize it a little bit. There's also a phenomenon that um, we've observed sometimes clinically where it, the mother is convinced that the child is going to starve if you know if they don't eat this particular food and and sometimes they feel very desperate to get the child to eat anything and so they'll sometimes compromise and feed the child something that they really don't want to do you have any advice for those mothers don't do it (laughs) (laughs) i think the child knows that they've got the upper hand at that point because again you you're ending up begging the child for doing certain things According to the literature, the children are not going to starve. I think if you get to a really bad dynamic and the child is old enough, they can hold out for a fair amount of time. But when you think about uh, people who, uh, it, it takes several weeks to die of starvation. So as long as they're being hydrated, they're really not going to die. And I'm sure that parents are worried about their child's development if this is happening often. If it does happen often, I would consult a pediatrician and and try to get a different kind of a strategy or maybe try to ask for a consult with a registered dietitian. Well, that's really good advice. Well, thank you both for joining us here at Yale University. Uh, We learned a lot from this discussion. Thanks for having us. (laughs)